Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Varsity Club Podcast. Derek Peterson here joining me this week. Aaron Sorensen. Hello. Hello, I'm here. You're back. I'm back. It only took like a week for you to come back this time. Two weeks, right? Well, because you were here, two like you didn't now? do the last one. Correct, so two weeks. Well, a week of podcast without Aaron Sorensen on it. So. True. It depends. It's semantics. It's how you're looking at it. Whatever you say. Joining us this week on the podcast, obviously Aaron Sorensen is here. In a little bit, we're going to get to an interview with Jake Kokorowski from Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Covers the Badgers. He's here once again, he joined us last year to talk about Wisconsin and Nebraska, so he's back this year to talk about Wisconsin and Nebraska. We will get to him a little bit later. Um, we're going to hit a little bit on culture. We're going to hit a little bit on the news of the week, and that was Tyjon Lindsay departing. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know where to start. Like, I'm just tired. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just doing the best you can when a team is 0-4. Womp, womp. But it is true. We are doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> no huddle got posted on the website. Um, we're recording this on a Wednesday. No huddle got posted on Wednesday. And there's a line in there that Cranach has where he just says, like, like Nebraska could go 0-5. Mm-hmm. Or that's coming. And just, I don't like, it hadn't hit me yet to this point. But, like, hearing that, it set in, like, holy crap, this team is about to be 0-5. Yeah. I mean... When Frost said it's going to get worse before it gets better, he wasn't joking. It's going to get worse. Worse. Worst. It's going to get worse before worse before it gets better. Did you expect 0-5, though? I didn't. Like, I didn't expect... Um, I know some people went down the path of, like, maybe 8-4, and four, and I thought that was... Even 7-5 and five felt, like, too much for me. The air conditioner just... AC just kicked on uh, because it's 90 degrees in Nebraska today. Um, so when you're listening to this, it will be cold and rainy again. But right now, it's 90 and sunny. It's like it's summer all over. Um, but no, I thought Nebraska at this point would be heading into this Wisconsin matchup. I thought Nebraska would be, oh, man, maybe 4-1. and one. I thought a bulk of their bulk of the wins would come in the first half of the season. I expected wins over Akron, Colorado, and Troy. I even thought maybe there was a chance if you were coming into that matchup 3-0 and against Michigan, maybe there's an opportunity to take that game. Uh, just because Harbaugh, we know he has a tendency to – his teams have a tendency to play down to their competition. They can, but obviously they didn't this time. Uh, and then I, I thought they would beat Purdue. So I, I thought a majority of the losses were going to come in the second half of the season – so even if they had lost to Michigan, I thought four and one coming into this Wisconsin matchup, maybe you drop this game and then you're four and two, and then you you see Northwestern on the road. That's always a tough game. Those two teams play each other very close. Even if you get that win and you're five and two, now you're going into the bulk of. Um, I mean, I guess the you have Minnesota. Your schedule. Yeah, but you had I guess Minnesota, but those those um, just Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa being on the road makes me nervous. Northwestern being on the road makes me nervous. Having Michigan State at home makes me nervous. So I was like, second half of your season, not great. Basically what you're saying is the entire rest of Nebraska's schedule makes you nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought a majority of their wins were coming first half of the season. And then the latter half would have been wins over teams like Minnesota, Illinois. And I really thought if you could get to six wins this season, get to a bowl game, you would be in good shape. It's an improvement over last year. I don't know. I just did not feel like it was going to be an 0-4 type season at this point. At least not when I looked at it. When did Scott make the, it's going to get worse before it gets better comment? Was that after the Troy game? Was it after Troy or was it after Michigan? It wasn't after Michigan. Then it would have been after Troy. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Because then after Michigan, it was the, I really think this is the bottom. Yeah, and then then it got lower. 
I don't know. The Darkest Before the Dawn. Batman. Florence and the Machine. No, 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 no. You, you, hmm. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think. Like even when he said that, like they're zero two. They just lost to Troy. Mm-hmm. Even when he said that, I didn't think they were going to lose to Purdue. Should we talk about the Purdue game, or do you want to just move past that and not ever mention it again? I mean, Purdue's not a bad team. Jeff Brom has done a, a really good job with Purdue, and I think that was one game coming into the season that always worried me just a little bit because it wasn't a fluke that Nebraska won, barely won last season. Purdue, even though their record would imply otherwise, just because they had come into that game one and three, right? Yeah, they were one mm-hmm. and three. Yep. Those games were like, those losses were not blowout losses. They beat a ranked, at the time, a ranked Boston College. Purdue is not a bad team. Yeah, they lost um, in the um, opener by four points because right? they had a personal foul penalty on the final drive that would mm-hmm. have given them the ball back. They lost by one point on a last-second field goal to mm-hmm. Eastern Michigan. Then they lost by two points or three points on another last-second field goal. And I keep forgetting the third team they played. But then they beat Boston College 30-13, to and that mm-hmm. game was 30-7. to late in the fourth quarter, and Boston College had a garbage-time touchdown. Um, yeah, they're not a bad team, <laughs> but, like, Nebraska's not a bad team. Like, if you look at it on, if you look at them on paper, Nebraska's a bad team right now on the football field, but if you look at them on paper, like, Nebraska should probably beat Purdue. Yes? No, I always felt at going into this game that that was a 50-50 matchup. I think that's where Nebraska is right now, which may not sit well with some people, but it was a 50-50 toss-up. I think Nebraska is in. Apparently, I'm very worked up about this because I just got a notification on my watch to, to breathe. Um, so that's Calm great. Calm down Calm about down. Purdue. No, I really, I always thought it was going to be a 50-50 toss-up. I just thought it could go either way. This is one of those games where Nebraska could drop this game to Purdue. I didn't think they were going to make it quite as easy for Purdue to get that win, but... I think that tells us exactly what we need to know about where the state of this team is right at this moment. So what is Wisconsin, then, if Purdue was 50-50? What is Wisconsin? 95-5? You're going to be in the realm of, like, Michigan. And see, what's so hard about this is I felt this way going into Michigan. You've got this team who has nothing to lose, and that's oftentimes when you see teams come in and beat big, you know, the David and Goliath stories, where Mm -hmm. they come and they beat the David because they have nothing else to lose – or, sorry, Goliath, not David. They would be David beating Goliath. Um, I just, it's so hard to know if that if that Nebraska exists right now. Because we hear about there being warriors. We hear about the warriors on the team. But we kind of have joked about, like, there's probably, like, what, like 24 guys at this point? We've made jokes about, like, 24 or 36 yeah, they're gonna guys. Yeah, 24 like, people. Are there enough warriors for Nebraska to be that team that upsets a Wisconsin this week? I don't know. And that's the hard part is it's people have asked me, can Nebraska beat Wisconsin? I think Nebraska can beat anybody that's on this schedule outside of maybe Ohio State. I just don't know if they can. And I guess what I mean by that is don't mean I think that they're like, they should have been beating all of these teams. I think when you have a team who has nothing to lose – and has key pieces, talent. You've got Adrian Martinez, who can move mountains when he wants to. You've got a guy like J.D. Smealman who connects with him um, and also moves mountains when he needs to. The defense is not terrible. Um, not always great, but not terrible. The offensive line is an entirely different story. But you've got pieces on this team that can be competitive. It just the question is, are are they able to do it? And apparently from what we're hearing, not everyone's bought in, so Lord knows what we're going to see the optimist, this week. The optimist in, um, I guess, local media in general, just people that are around teams like this day in and day out and that know, um, that have personal relationships with the teams, like you always want to be a little optimistic and say that you can go into any game and like, yeah, I could see this team winning any game. I have literally no optimism for this team. Well, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like yeah. you go in and you're like, I mean... They're maybe. Not, it's not, it's, yeah, maybe. Like, you, you come up with situations in your head. Like, I'm at the point, because I said that with the Michigan game. Like, there are scenarios where Nebraska could win this game. I'm at the point now where Nebraska is what it is. And it's a team that is undisciplined. It's a team that can't get out of its own way. Mm-hmm. And it's a team that continues to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's not killing them. I mean, I, I'm not trying to kill them. 
But until they show that that's not the case anymore, like you can't, I can't predict that it's not going to continue to happen. Like they, like four weeks in a row now, the same issues have been happening, and we keep saying, oh well, these will get better, these will get better, these will get better, and they haven't. Right. And so I, like, you just can't, like, I mean, it would be cool to have a game this weekend, but I, I, you can't, I don't, I can't confidently say that we're gonna have a, you know, a. a close game in the fourth quarter until i have some proof to back that up and that's what i'm that's i think what i'm saying is i believe in my heart of hearts that there is competitor there are there is there are competitors on this team that could win that could realistically if the circumstances are in their favor win and beat a wisconsin where i where i come up where i where i was saying that i'm not positive and where I'm pretty like negative in this sense is that I just don't believe that it's enough and I don't I feel like I think what my point is I feel like there are there should be reasons that they could win there are pieces on this team that could make it a game I'm just not confident that those pieces are enough and so for me I don't think Nebraska is going to beat Wisconsin I won't even pretend I remember last week even saying like my head and my heart are in different places because you're right Mm -hmm. and I think that's the case with any media when you're when you're a beat reporter for a team that you spend nine months out of your year just around them all day every day you start to want them to do well one it makes your job easier and we stop getting yelled at on the internet Mm -hmm. um but you do root for the individuals you don't want to see them losing you don't want to see them having a bad like streak like i mean it's so tough to watch some of these coaches and players and just watch like what you can tell is like weighing so heavily on them like you don't want that to be their life but unfortunately right now it's the point we're at this is the point that Nebraska is at. I want to play you this clip from Troy Walters on Wednesday when he met with the media. So he was asked about the offense kind of showing flashes mm-hmm. of what it can be. This is what he said. We showed the offense that when we do things the right way and when, when everybody's on the same page and, and we're fundamentally and sound and we're disciplined, then these are the results. We can go down and, and score on anybody and, and we can put up you know 21 points in a, in a quarter and a half. And that should be our standards. And so right now the guys understand that. And, um, you know, we're just going to continue to get better. And uh, you know, we had a great couple weeks of – our great couple of days of practice. And I look forward to going to Wisconsin and uh, seeing what we can do. And I think he's got a point there. Like the three – like they, they scored three straight times against Purdue. And they looked like – Scott said this Monday, they were shredding Purdue's, off, or Purdue's defense. And they were. They looked yeah. like a team that – uh, is going to be tough for people to stop. And I think the thing that is so frustrating with this team is, at least offensively, they have shown that multiple times now. Like, they showed that in the Colorado game. They showed that a, a little bit against Troy um, in the second half. Like, they, you see the pieces that are there. They just can't get out of their own way. They can't put it all together uh, for a full 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. 60 minutes. 60 minutes. I was trying to make a joke. You missed it. No, I heard it. it. I was just giving you the benefit of the doubt. I was trying not to, like, make it a big deal. I was... No, Derek has no idea what's going on ever. Yeah, make it a big deal. I don't know. Um, No, I mean... He's right. He's like, we have... And and back to your Warriors comment, he's like, we have guys that play like that. We have guys that play Mm -hmm. the way they want us to play, but we never have 11, and we never have 11 at the same time. Like, that... That that encapsulates... Like, that is a perfect summation of this season. Yep. And I mean, there are some where you have a guy, like... Luke Gifford, that I believe wholeheartedly every single time he's on the field, he is giving 110%. But you cannot have Luke Gifford giving 110% and then no one else giving 110% at the exact same time. Like, it's got to be a consistent effort. However, um, it was Brandon Vogel who brought this up to me, and I thought about this a little bit. And this is just some food for thought for people. What's interesting about this Nebraska team is you have four captains right now, Mick Stoltenberg, Luke Gifford, Gerald Foster, and Stanley Morgan, who've never been a part of a team that has been successful in the way that, like, say someone like Trey Neal has been a part of a team that's been successful. And what's interestingly, what's interesting about that for me and the reason I think it's, it's, a, it's a point that Nebraska fans just kind of have to it, – it, There's it's not saying anything. It's just like a point, like I said, food for thought, keep in the back of your mind a little bit, is – I wholeheartedly believe those four captains are doing everything they possibly can. But there's a benefit to be like to winning and to knowing what winning feels like and having that like guidance as well. And that's the one thing that's really missing 
from these four captains is they've never experienced that. And so it's really interesting to think like where Nebraska is right now, their four captains have always outside of that 2016 season. And even then it started to kind of go off the rails once they hit Wisconsin. They've never been a part of a team like what Scott Frost just came from. Mm-hmm. And that's doesn't say a whole lot in the sense of like whether they can be good leaders or captains or whatever, but it says a whole lot culturally about what just, they're trying to work through. Right. Because exactly. And I think all four of them have said some variation of the same thing. Like we have to relearn how to win football yes. games. Because like that's I mean that when you watch Nebraska, that's something that a casual observer can look at and, and at the end of, of sixty minutes of watching them, you can be like, they don't know how to win a football game. Mm-hmm. That's the point that they're at right now. Yeah. Let's talk about um, the I guess the news of the week, and it's a guy that maybe wasn't one hundred and ten percent invested, and and that's maybe sophomore wide receiver Tyson Lindsay, who uh, Tuesday night news broke that he uh, had asked for and been granted a scholarship release from Nebraska, so he will transfer. Um, just the latest in a string of guys across the country that have um, taken advantage of the new redshirt rule, where they've played four games. Now they're going to sit out the rest of the season, maintain this full season of eligibility, mm-hmm. transfer someplace else. Mm-hmm. Let's. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we can go with this conversation about Tajon. Um, I guess to start, like you've got a relationship with him, so to start, let's just maybe clear the air with all the bad things that people are saying about Tajon publicly. Um, oh. How does this decision strike you? The decision strikes me as something where I think I, I think it's really easy for people to want to be um, really negative toward Tajon's decision. But when you really break it down by what he has gone through, um, you first and foremost, he came here for a head coach and a position coach that he loved. And when they both were gone, he still decided to stick around. But we know how much he loved those Mike Riley and Keith Williams, especially Keith Williams. Um, but even with them gone, he still had his one of his best friends, Tristan Jebbia, his roommate here. Um, and then Jebbia Lee, you now Jebbia's gone. Um, but you could have still said, well, maybe Buki would have come here and that would have been different. But then Buki ended up at Oklahoma. You've got a player who suffered injuries. He had Rabdo at the beginning of this season. Um He's not getting the playing time that he was hoping for, and then he gets taken off of his punt return job. It just adds up. I mean, you start you start to, I don't know. It just, it, it makes sense to me. And I think it's hard because sometimes it's easy to be like, well, they're not fully bought in, and maybe he wasn't fully bought in. I, I've said this about Taijan. He has a lot of interests. He loves fashion. He loves music. He loves doing a lot of things that aren't football, and that does not make him a bad player. He has every right to love those things, and maybe those will be part things that are a part of his life someday down the road when football inevitably ends for him. So it's something that matters to him. He's using his social media, um, sort of his following to build that. And heck, he might end up using that someday to be successful in whatever business he does. Um, he but just doesn't mesh with the he, coaching staff that he right. didn't commit to. This is just, when you think about all these things of all the pieces moving around him, losing his friend, not having his cousin, because Buki is his cousin, come to Nebraska, um, getting injured, having Rabdo, all of these things is compounded. Like, that alone makes you think, like, okay, it makes sense why a guy would leave. Add to it just the fact that I don't think that his personality meshes. He doesn't need, like, I think the problem is, is people go, well, then he should go somewhere where he'll be coddled. It's not that. He just needs somebody who, he needs a coaching staff that's just probably a little bit more on the same page as him. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are how many different coaching styles in this nation Mm -hmm. for a reason. He will go find another place and probably be successful enough there. I think the the common thing that I've seen is that he quit on the team. Um, And I don't know, this is all still pretty fresh as of recording this podcast so I'm, I'm still kind of working through how i feel about this situation I'm, I'm still kind of working through how i feel about all these transfers um but i mean I, i'm kind of where you are i can i can understand it uh javon mccody had a an instagram picture that he put up that was him and tristan jebbia and avery roberts and tyjon Lindsay. Mm-hmm. three of those guys are now gone mm-hmm. and i feel like it was like the writing on the wall because I feel like everyone's been saying that McQuitty might be the next person to keep an eye on. Not that we know it. He was in pads. This is Wednesday. He was in pads on Wednesday, and he was walking out of practice. Speculate. Speculate. That's but go pod- ahead and speculate. That's what podcasts are for. Yes. You're supposed to speculate. Um, but, I mean, 
Troy Walters had a comment where he was like he he kind of wasn't getting the the play that he hoped for, wasn't getting the reps that he hoped for. Mm-hmm. Part of that has to do with him, doesn't it? Like he he hasn't been good this season. No, the he muff hasn't. punt. Uh, he hasn't. Oh game, gosh, that like it's, stressed me out. It's decision making, um, and he had issues his freshman season, just trying to get comfortable and trying to to fill a role that he wanted to fill. Um, and he talked about that heading into the season that he mm-hmm. he was trying to do a little bit too much and he wasn't yet um, comfortable at this level. I just think I think he's trying to figure out where he fits. Mm-hmm. And I don't I'd agree. don't think he fits here. Um, so the transfer in that sense makes, makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to see players finishing out seasons with teams. I know it would be nice. And I think, um, that's sort of the world that we're going to be living in now. And mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to watch how coaches and teams adapt to this. And we've talked about how the red shirt rule doesn't change the transfer rule. So we'll still see a lot of like how players are adapting and, understanding and evolving with that as well. But I do think it's going to change how teams are recruiting, how mm-hmm. they're handling their roster management and everything else. Yeah, because this changes, I mean, for for schools like Ohio State, um, for schools like Alabama that just mm-hmm. routinely bring in elite talent and just have like four or five five-star kids stacked on their depth chart and it's just, oh, next man up. But for teams like Nebraska, for programs that are in the setting that, or in the situation that Nebraska is in right now, like I think it's really going to change things because you're going to have kids that come and that they're if they're not playing, if they're not getting what they they want out of that experience. They're going to leave, mm-hmm. and you can't. I, I the thing that interests me the most about all this is quarterback recruiting. Um, we saw this a little bit with Tristan Jebbia, but you know I look at a school like Georgia and Kirby Smart has, you know he had three like five star quarterback commits and for a, a time. It looked like all three of them were going to stay. Obviously, one left in Jacob Eason, but they still got Jake Fromm, and they've got the number one quarterback from last year's class. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that there's such a weird dynamic happening right now where no one really knows like <laughs> how you're supposed to no manage a roster or build a team. And I think that's part of learning, even with like the the early signing period, they're still figuring that whole thing out and how to adapt to that. And then now you're adding in the redshirt rule, and other rules are going to continue to change um, through. You just the NCAA will continue to change rules and things will change over time more and more and so it'll be it'll be interesting to sort of watch it all happen. Yes, it certainly will. Aaron, I'm going to kick you out for a couple minutes and we're going to uh, go to my interview with Jake Kokorowski from Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Here's Jake. Joining us now on the podcast, a friend of the show, I think we can say now, Jake Kokorowski from Bucky's Fifth Quarter is is uh, back with us for the second year in a row. Jake, welcome back, man. Thanks hey. for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me back. You know, sometimes I go ramble too much and people are like, yeah, you took up like an hour and a half of the time and we only had 30 minutes to do. So I appreciate you uh, having <laughs> me back on. Appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you guys uh, here in Madison in a couple days. Yeah, it'll be fun. Just uh, just talk for however long you want, and uh, if the people want to stop listening, they can stop listening. I'll do some play-by-play of the Brewers game going on currently, so uh, maybe yeah, you'll, you'll get some viewers that way. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. There we go. That works. <laughs> we're recording this. For anybody that's wondering right now, we're recording this interview on a Thursday night, um, and the Brewers are playing. So if Jake bursts out in uh, cheering or starts crying on the podcast, then you know what has happened. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's true so uh, i want to talk to you so our our opponent preview piece is up on site um people that are listening go read that if you want to jake there were some numbers i found writing about the badgers that were kind of weird to me um to be honest to someone that doesn't watch the team regularly so i want to ask you about a couple of them initially everything shows a team that's being carried more by its offense than by its defense um the defense is obviously only giving up just just a shade over 14 a game and they're like second in the Big Ten in scoring defense, but the offense has been more efficient and effective than the defense. Is that a safe statement to make? Yeah, I would say it would be definitely more... uh, I think the offense has been more efficient. Uh, There have been times where the defense has risen up, 
and there have been times during you know during a red zone opportunity for, for a you know for an opponent, the defense rose up. I mean, you're looking at the the red zone scoring opportunities, you know, for opponents, it's eight out of the twelve chances, which is you know, 67%, which is, you know, you still get those four opportunities that are taken away that makes a big deal but i would say the wisconsin you know the wisconsin offense and i argue though too that this the unit too despite being the numbers look great 265 266 yards of rushing 201 passing uh, you know the, the pretty balanced for wisconsin standards and but, but you know i still think i don't know if it's the hype from this past year uh from this off season with having you know, three, it was supposed to be four, but now three really capable wide receivers, uh, a running game, and then, you know, having some tight ends that aren't Troy Fumagalli but could really make it, probably sub in and, and make an impact between the collective three of them to, to make up for the production of Fumagalli. Uh, it, you know, I don't know if they've lived up to the hype yet. Uh, and maybe it's just because everyone put place too much, too much hype on there, too much potential there. Uh, and obviously with an offensive line ahead, for all Americans of some sort to uh, coming back. So it's, uh, but I will say, I think the offense has risen up a little bit more. Uh, I do think it's been a tale of two defenses from the first two games compared to the last two games. And obviously BYU, you know, they give up only 311 technically yards and that's only six more yards, five, six more yards than what they gave up to Western Kentucky in the season opener. But there's some huge chunk plays, a trick play that went for, you know, a touchdown and then two big 40 yard runs that led to points that, I mean, there were really four plays in that BYU game that cost Wisconsin a win and take out one of them. Wisconsin probably goes away with a win uh, in all likelihood. And then Iowa, uh, they had a huge passing game. And so, I mean, I think the defense kind of came back to earth in replacing seven starters from a year prior and, you know, and a couple contributors on top of that too. And they're still, I mean, still a very young secondary, a banged up younger secondary, I mind you uh, from this updated injury report that was just released earlier on Thursday morning. So it's, uh, I think, you know, there's still enough pieces in that defense. Uh, they've made plays, you know, late in the game against Iowa, that TJ uh, Edwards interception off a dropped pass, essentially uh, sealing the win. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the offense is a little bit more efficient, but I still think, the potential is there to do so much more offensively. Uh, you know, and sometimes those stats can be misleading here and there too. Okay. Um, I just realized that I uh, skipped through our recap question <laughs> that I was going to ask you first. Um, we, we're off to a, a fantastic start. So you mentioned the, the BYU game. So for anybody that uh, has been living under a rock and hasn't been following Wisconsin this season, the Badgers are 3-1. and one. Um, They entered the season preseason top five. Uh, lost to BYU in week three. Jake, just quickly recap for me how we got here. Yeah, you know, Wisconsin coming off a bye week, first two weeks uh, of the season coming off, defeated uh, Western Kentucky, New Mexico, I would say comfortable. Uh, one writer for Bucky's fifth quarter put it, I think, really perfectly. Andrew Rosin said it this way. It was comfortable but not necessarily dominant, uh, even though the scores may predict otherwise. I mean, the spread – they never met the spread technically for those that love gambling, but it really, you know, you show they showed things that oh, this is the potential of the group, but they're still they can still get better on. And then the, against BYU, who they beat forty to six in Provo last season, uh, you know, I'm still trying to really process what happened. I I know what happened and essentially, but I didn't I don't know why it happened really. Where BYU out physicaled, uh, were just more physical than. Wisconsin that day, I think on, on both sides of the line, um, they had some jet sweep motion work that worked really well against the Badgers and, and caused some assignment miscues there. And, uh, even TJ Edwards after the game, the star inside linebacker for the Badgers had mentioned that, uh, he was, you know, kind of just thinking maybe a little bit too much at times and, but there were missed assignments there and, and wrong calls. And so they were upset and, uh, it was, it was a team loss too. It was the offense didn't move the chains on third downs as well, even though they out gained yardage wise, I think it was like 392, 394 to 311 yards. It just BYU made more plays and they were more physical uh, and, and Wisconsin didn't move the chains when they needed to. Uh, so then against Iowa, they come back and it, it was a tough fight. Uh, Wisconsin, I think is more talented than Iowa and it, you know, and it played out that way. Uh, it's a tough environment as you saw last year with Penn state and Ohio state, uh, Penn state winning last year, 
Ohio State losing uh, in big fashion uh, in Iowa City. And but this season, you know, uh, Wisconsin kind of showed the medal in the last, you know, two last drives, uh, going almost five minutes on the last, you know, their second to last drive for the go-ahead touchdown uh, through Alex Hornibrook, uh, who helped lead down. The, you know, it was five for five on that drive. For 67 yards and that go-ahead touchdown, uh, and then the defense coming up big. So uh, it was a big vi- a win. I mean, those two teams kind of the presumptive favorites for the West, and Wisconsin kind of has the inside edge, depending upon whatever happens with the rest of the Big Ten uh, West division. But it was a you know it was a good win for them to get back on track heading into the bye week, and uh, they come up hopefully you know for the team they, they come up more fresh. Uh, we'll see what happens underneath the lights of Camp Randall now on Saturday against the Huskers. Absolutely, it's not it's not too often Wisconsin gets out physical in the game, so it was probably a good response for them against Iowa, um, in kind of a lunch pail game. Oh, it was yeah. That, they implemented like a jumbo package, which was seven offensive linemen, essentially. So they added Logan Bruss, a redshirt freshman, to like kind of like a pseudo tight end. You're probably going to see that more now with Xander Neville being listed out for the rest of the year, who's a redshirt senior tight end. He's kind of the inline type tight end, not a H back. Uh, but he's out for the year. He was really big in the run game, uh, but now he's out. So I'm guessing you're going to see probably more Logan Bruss. And then also, if they go back to this jumbo package, uh, Jason Erdman, who's a reserve former walk-on lineman, that uh, you know they utilize that to, I think, great success against Iowa a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Let's go back to the numbers, though, now that we're we're back on track. Wisconsin only has four sacks this season. Um, defensive line has a havoc rate that is like in the bottom 25 in the country. Um, so that's sacks, tackles for loss, and batted passes. Um, they're they're really good in short yardage run situations, but when those run situations are on third down, they're not as good. And then they haven't gotten to the quarterback very well. What's what's going on with the front line for Wisconsin? Yeah, I really, I mean, I, it's funny because. I feel like I, even on our podcast, on, on Bucky's fifth podcast, which is an original name for a podcast, I mind you, uh, because we're very corny like that at our site. But it's a <laughs> uh, what really it is, is, I mean, I think last year and years past, even for that matter, you had guys like Alec James, Connor Sheehy and Chikwe Obashi, who played 156 career games in their four years uh, that they were eligible. And they made a big impact. And I remember Vince Beagle you know, a couple of years back seeing how underrated they were. And they were there last year, even after Beagle left for the NFL. And that front seven, along with Chikwe, or not Chikwe, with Olive Sangapolu, who's still there. He's the senior nose guard, athletic guy, uh, a leader of that defensive line unit. Uh, but I think that that, front, that line was really underappreciated and, uh, you know, underrated in my opinion, where they could clog up a little bit more holes. The, the leadership was there. They had the game experience. This year, right now, you have Sangapolu in the mi- middle, and he's been an anchor. He's done – I think he's got a sack already this year, and uh, I, th- I feel like he's made a pretty good impact. But you also have out of that, you know, the four ends in this odd front uh, that are in the two deep, three of them are redshirt freshmen, and that's – you know, Caden Lyles, who's a converted four-star prep offensive lineman who's now on the defensive side of the ball with Garrett Rand being out for the year with a reported Achilles injury. And then two other redshirt freshmen, one a former walk-on in Matt Henningsen, and then another one with Aaron Volpel. Both of those guys have been in the two deep as well uh, as second-team members. So it really, you know, you have younger guys there. The other, the other starter is Isaiah Loudermilk, who rotated in and earned a spot last year as a redshirt freshman so he's got some game experience but he's coming off an injury that kept him out of most of fall camp too so i think there's some youth there some inexperience you know and and some of the older linemen that maybe they're expecting to step up this past year you know really haven't so it's been younger guys and Rand was actually a backup nose tackle last year and he bumped out to end because he's more he's about 270 strong as an ox uh and so he could hold up at you know you know with a, with a zero technique but uh he bumped out to to end in the in the four eye looks that North, wisconsin can handle in their base look but um you know but i think def- it starts with the defensive line a little bit being a little bit younger i think uh with also just the, the inside linebackers uh they're they're strong ryan Connolly, tj edwards along with Chris, who I think are some of the best, uh, if not the best inside linebacking crew in the nation, uh, just based off of experience. And sure. they're having pretty solid years, but really on the edge, uh, you lose Garrett Dooley, you lose 
Leon Jacobs and Leon, you see what right now with Leon Jacobs, you know, he was starting for the, for Jacksonville in the NFL uh, as a seventh round draft pick. Uh, you know, I, I think it was Sam, Sam linebacker. So, but he was on the edge last year and everyone knows the athleticism from here. And he, he looks like a chiseled Greek God uh, in, in those workout pictures that you see at Exos or other places. But uh, those guys really help too. And uh, Andrew Van Ginkle right now is questionable this week. Uh, that was on the updated injury report after only playing, I think, a handful of snaps against Iowa. And, you know, but, you know, he, Andrew Van Ginkle is one of the most, I think, dynamic playmakers. But, you know, he was lost to, in the BYU game. Another reason that they, in my opinion, probably didn't obviously uh, get the W. But he was out, you know, in the first quarter with a foot injury, had a boot on his right foot, uh, you know, later that game. And then, Next to them, trying to replace the production of Dooley and Jacobs, you have uh, Zach Bond, who is athletic, up around 230 pounds, but has the tackles, but hasn't really made an impact in the in the pass rush game. Tyler Johnson's another former walk-on who, you know, had a strip sack last year against Illinois, but has been relatively quiet in the first four games as well this year. So I think. I mean, compared to the talent that they had last year, it means Van Ginkle and then still looking for someone to step up to get more pressure. I mean, I think they only have three sacks on the season coming into this game. And and some of it's due to the offenses that they faced, you know, not necessarily conducive to getting past rush. But against Iowa, they didn't there wasn't a lot. And I don't think they actually I don't think they recorded a sack, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, so this team really, you know, it they haven't generated that pressure necessarily uh, to get home. They have like 11 quarterback hurries, but they haven't gotten home to the quarterback as much and, and caused as much disarray as they've had last year. Let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball um, with Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> the nation's leading rusher. Um, <laughs> it, is there a lab somewhere in Wisconsin where they just pump out a new running back every four years I mean the passing game hasn't been crazy efficient but it hasn't mattered because he looks I mean he looks even better than he did last season yeah I mean the, yeah the fumbling issue is still there uh just for those that are looking for any type of flaw in his game he had two lost fumbles against one against Western Kentucky one against New Mexico and of course he goes for a career high 253 yards against the Lobos uh, a lot but you know a lot of people were talking about that one fumble in the second quarter uh but it's a you know he He's been, he's still not a complete back. And uh, I mean that in the way that, you know, during the spring and, and during fall camp, two reporters saw him working at times like exclusively, especially in the spring with Paul Christ, uh, you know, head coach Paul Christ on running routes and, and out of the backfield. Him and Garrett Groshek uh, both were, you know, just working with them. Even Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, would come in at times too, uh, like the first half hour of, of practice and, and talk with, you know, Taylor about running the routes. You haven't necessarily seen him pop out as a, like an all-around back that, that can catch out of the backfield yet. He dropped a, a potential big screen pass against BYU, though that drive went for a touchdown uh, later on. But it really, you know, he he still has that, I mean, running the ball, there's a maturity beyond his years. Uh, and, you know, especially la- last year, I was just surprised that a freshman back could come in, not, you know, no spring football or anything and comes in and just makes huge play, you know, those huge plays that you saw last year. And this year he's, he's had a solid year. I mean, he's gone over a hundred yards every single game. And I mean, you know, he's shown off some explosiveness, explosiveness early on, but uh, you know, I think BYU held them to like a long of 15 yards, and Iowa was about 17 yards for a gain. So I'm, I'm he's looking. You know, I think he has a chance to break out against Nebraska a little bit more, uh, but we'll see on that. But yeah, he is just there's a physicality with him. There's a speed, uh, strength. He you know there's videos of him squatting 500 pounds. So I mean he's he's a complete uh, specimen when it comes to you know having it all together physically and he has that maturity that he knows that he needs to get better. And I think the sky's just a limit for him. And if there's a lab here, I'm not necessarily sure uh, at the university, but uh, you know, whenever they turn them in uh, like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, Wisconsin, I mean, has had a pretty fair success of running backs from the New Jersey area. You know, T- Taylor is a former Rutgers commit and uh, before he flipped and, but you know, Anthony Davis, uh, you know, uh, uh, Corey Clement, among those, you know, those players too, it's a, you know, it's, it's definitely, they, they've found some talent there. And, you know, from the mid Atlantic with the one Ron Dane, 
as well, who through many people here in Wisconsin, uh, I would say they, he is still the all time leading rusher in NCAA history. So, uh, outside of, uh, all that stuff, you know, outside of, I think it was at Danelle Pumphrey from San Diego state getting that with the bowl, uh, yeah, the bowl games, but yeah, yeah but he is also, you know, Ron Dane, uh, also from New Jersey. So they've had some success from, from the mid Atlantic States when it comes to getting those backs in here. I'm just going to go to uh, Nebraska's running backs coach and just tell him to start recruiting New Jersey as hard as he possibly can. That might be the, <laughs> might be the way to do it. <laughs> um, let's let's turn to the game now. We had, we had a pretty interesting prop bet um, in our mailbag this week, and I want to get your thoughts on it. So last year, Jonathan Taylor ran for 13 yards less than Tanner Lee had passing, and Devino Zigbo had one fewer rushing yard than Alex Hornibrook had passing. So which has a better chance of happening again? The Huskers rushing for as much or more than Hornybook throws, or Taylor rushing for as much or more than Adrian Martinez throws. Ooh. Got a tough one for you. That is tough because I'll go. I think the Taylor Martinez one is I'm intrigued because here's the reason why is that Wisconsin, I think I mentioned it earlier, where the secondary is very much, it's young. It's replacing three of its four starters still uh, from last season. So Nick, you know, Nick Nelson, Derek Tyndall are both gone, and Trell Jamerson, you know, Nelson and Jamerson are in the NFL, uh, and also Joe Ferguson was a reserve uh, safety that propped up when uh, Dakota Dixon was injured last year, and he played really well. Uh, they, you know, they're still. I mean, going into this game, I'm predicting. Probably Duran Harrell and Fan Hicks, who are both redshirt freshmen to to start, and then you also have, oh gosh, uh, you know Scott Nelson, who's a redshirt freshman safety too, who is you know who's flash and he's kind of the ball hawk. I would say he's he's the flashiest member of that secondary. It's still a young secondary, and then maybe when you have the nickel package come up, you have Madison Cone, who's a true sophomore but a second year player nonetheless. So. Ah, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think Martinez, I mean, with Stanley Morgan Jr., J.D. Spielman, I mean, I think you guys, I think, I think it's, I think you guys can safely bet, I think the Taylor Martinez, I think they'll be right around where Martinez can throw the ball, I think, pretty well, uh, and I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, in my opinion, so, uh, okay. yeah, I feel that, yeah, I think that Taylor would, the Taylor rushing with a, with behind Wisconsin's offensive line, and then Martinez throwing the ball. That's, I think that's going to be something. I, I put my money on that. That was what I picked as well because I think Taylor's going to have a big day um, against Nebraska's defense, and I also think Adrian Martinez is going to keep them uh, at least competitive with passing. So that was what I picked as well. Awesome. Yeah. No. It's it's a. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this defense for Wisconsin really steps up. Where you know it's. We were all wondering in the media just how this defense would step up with replacing so many lost starters and, and so many inexperience. And uh, that's, uh, I mean, the first two games kind of gave, gave, I think, fans a false sense of hope maybe or a false sense of confidence that this team could uh, do that. But it really, uh, you know, the past two games have been tough. So, um, you know, for, for that defense and really – uh, making that those strides and, and coming back, but it's going to be. I think this team with the bye week, I think they can fix what some some of the deficiencies. And Iowa, just you know, the tight ends were just really good there. So it's. But I predict against you know with Morgan and 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 the wide receivers for Nebraska, they could have a very, you know, they could have a field day potentially. But I th- but I don't know if I go that far. But it's going to be it's going to be one of those matchups to watch, and it could be a really high scoring game. Okay. Nebraska's been bad on third down all season. Um, that's, I'll just I'll just phrase it like that. Wisconsin hasn't been great defending third down. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't think they've been they've been pretty good offensively on third down, if I remember correctly. Um, Nebraska can't create turnovers. Wisconsin has created turnovers. Nebraska cannot play a clean game to save its life. Um, Wisconsin feels like the exact opposite. Field position is a similar trend. Um, give me a number. Or a stat that when this one, this game is over, we can point to in the box score and say, "Yep, that's what decided things." I think it goes back to third down conversions. I think it really goes back to 
the you know with Wisconsin with that offense, if, if they convert a couple of third downs against BYU, I think they win the game. And I know with those stats, you know, you and I both, you know, we talked about it with with you know trying to get the teams off the field. I mean, I think for the year, uh, Wisconsin is forty nine percent for the season. They're twenty four or forty nine, so they're just under fifty percent of the on on the year in that category. And you know, I think that stat is big. If if Wisconsin can keep turning the ball, and maybe that'll keep Martinez and company out of you know off the field, and that gives Wisconsin more time to to grind down a Nebraska defense. Uh, if if not, you're that. I mean, you know, it could be a fun and gun type game where uh, they go back and forth, and we'll see how many ex- whoever has the most explosive plays or chunk plays could could ultimately come up with the W. Uh, but I would also say like a micro stat on that would be how many third down receptions tight end Jake Ferguson gets uh, because he is you know as a redshirt freshman. Uh, folks for Wisconsin or for Nebraska fans, if you hear on the telecast, yes, he is the grandson of Barry Alvarez. Uh, and it's part of the, our Wisconsin bingo for every telecast that we hear. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, if you have drinking games, well have fun. Uh, but it's also a, uh, um, it's 12 receptions already this season for, this is a retro tight end, you know, used a lot in 11 personnel, but now with the injury to the Xander Neville, he'll be utilized more in different formations too. But 12 receptions, 10 of them have gone for first downs. Uh, when you include one more, it's 11. Uh, 11 of the 12 either gone for uh, you know, a touchdown, his one against Iowa, or the 10 first downs. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, five or six of them have been on third down. So you know, he's become a target for Alex Hornibrook in the passing game, especially on that critical third down. So how many third down receptions Jake Ferguson has on Saturday uh, could ultimately lead to to see how successful this team can be. It's an incredible answer for that. You have a you have one stat and then you have a micro stat within your. That's a fantastic answer, Jake. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. I will say though that uh, Nebraska Nebraska fans don't need any more drinking games uh, because, <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know, penalty on special teams, take a drink, uh, turnover, take a drink, penalty that negates like a first down or a touchdown, take like they're they've been plastered the last couple games, so Oof. we don't need any more drinking games. <laughs> no, I, okay, I feel you. I feel you. Let's get a let's get a score prediction from you before we get you out of here. Yeah, right now I, I think it's going to be I think Wisconsin's going to give up more than the, than the fourteen and a half points they they give up per, per contest. I think uh, I'm wondering with the injuries on defense. Uh, I mean, you know, and like I said, uh, the secondary right now, Fan Hicks is questionable. The other potential starting safe uh, starting not safety but cornerback Caesar Williams uh, was a late addition to the injury report. Uh, this week as well. Uh, and so both are questionable. They expect Fan Hicks to play, according to uh, reports. Uh, Jason Galloway had reported that yesterday that they expected Hicks to play with a thumb injury, uh, or Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, had told the uh, reporters that yesterday. But um, I think it's 41 24 Wisconsin. Uh, I think it's a 17. Yeah, it's about a 17 point win. Uh, they won't cover the spread, but. It is a, you know, I think there will be some tight moments. I think Wisconsin ultimately pulls away. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be 22 straight runs like it was last year, which uh, was uh, an assertive force on the road. But I think Wisconsin does, you know, with just Nebraska giving up nearly 39 points per contest, uh, I think Wisconsin is able to take advantage of it at home underneath the lights of Camp Randall. I think they come out with a, you know, 41-24 win. It's about where I've got it. I've got it at Wisconsin 41-17. So you, uh, you've spotted Nebraska an extra touchdown that I haven't given them. So props to you. People will like you more than me. <laughs> and like I said, we'll see. I mean, like I said, obviously with how Wisconsin's been playing, uh, you know, it, on, uh, defensively, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough battle. I mean, it's a, it's a big 10 matchup there where every conference team likes to beat up on each other. And so there's never uh, a night, you know, there's never, unless you're playing Rutgers, maybe is a, is another <laughs> story. Not to, I'm not trying to bash Rutgers too much. I've already talked about Taylor flipping. I've already talked about them uh, earlier too. I forgot what that reference was, but uh, regardless, uh, Rutgers, they lost to Kansas. They deserve it. Yes. Very true. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but on that note, yeah, I think, It'll be a fun game, and anyone that uh, you know comes out to Nebraska, stop by, say hi. You know, just ping us on uh, Twitter at B5Q, and we'll try to say hi. Sounds great. We will be out there, and we'll try to hang out with you um, this weekend, Jake. As always, it was uh, great talking with you. Happy to have you back on the podcast, and uh, 
Is there a dog barking in the background? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's our year and a half year old pup uh, that we just gotten back in March and rescue dog. Great dog. Very protective, though. Very uh, Labrador boxer mix. So uh, adore, I, love, I love her. But yeah, she can be a, a bit of a pain here and there. <laughs> well, I will uh, let her have you back. So thank you for joining us. Anybody that wants to follow Jake on Twitter, I'll link his account in the description. So make sure you do so. Jake Kokorowski from Bucky's Fifth Quarter Man. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you guys and enjoy the game. Yep. Have a good one, bud. You too. Take care, man. Okay, Aaron, let's keep this short. Wisconsin, Nebraska, Saturday, mm-hmm. night kick in Camp Randall. Mm-hmm. What happens? Nebraska loses. <laughs> Wisconsin's going to win. Nebraska loses. Wisconsin's going to win by a lot. To probably a little, maybe like I feel like it's going to be around like the similar to like what Michigan was. I feel like it's going to be like a fifty some fifty six to ten. Uh, maybe you think there's going to be two forty point blowouts this year. I mean, or to this point in the season because we still got Ohio State. I mean, I'm not super hopeful. It's better than that, right? At this particular moment, I'm seeing like a forty one seventeen thing. Also, just because Wisconsin's not a team that's going to light up the scoreboard on you, and if they have a lead in the second half, they're just going to do what they did last season and just run the ball and kill the clock. Yeah, I don't know. It's just tough being on the road. I've been in Camp Randall for some really terrible Nebraska games. Um, <sighs> I've never been in Camp Randall, so I'm excited for this. This is the the crappy thing about this season, is I'm getting to go to all these uh, venues that I've never been to before, like... Michigan for the first time, the Big House for the first time, Camp Randall for the first time, Ohio State for the first time. The thing is, is like, and it's tainted. No, it's like you'll still really. Madison is a really cool town. You'll still really like it. Um, you're getting to see some traditional Big Ten like college towns. Northwestern for the first time. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm not even going to go to that game. I'm just going to chill in Chicago. Edmonton's fine. Are we staying in Chicago for that game? No, we're staying at like an Airbnb, like not too far from the stadium because you know we've got to go to the game and cover it how far away from chicago is it (sighs) (laughs) i'm done with you oh my goodness aaron what's coming up on hailvarsity.com uh lots of stuff if you're somebody who is traveling to madison we'll have our madison travel guide where we're bringing those back so um excited to to update those and bring those back um, as always, you know, we've got Brandon's Friday column, which is exciting. You should read that. We've got um, everything from the Big week. Big Red Recon. Big Red Recon. If you are a subs- uh, premium subscriber, uh, you can check that out. And then plenty more. Greg is actually heading to Lawrence, Kansas um, to check out a recruit there. And we'll have more about him Saturday morning. So if you, no matter when you are listening to this, just head to hailvarsity.com. There will be something there. I promise that you are going to want to check out and you're going to want to read. Um, because even when Nebraska is 0-4, I'm massively proud of this team. We have knocked out some really, really awesome content and people should just check out hailvarsity.com because you will, you will not be disappointed. No, you will not. Aaron, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Shout out to Jake for joining us and uh, making us all feel bad about our team. Um, (laughs) We will be back next week with another podcast. We'll have coverage throughout the weekend, like Aaron said. And thanks, guys.